Wonderful to see everybody here. Beautiful day. Uh, not too hot yet. And, uh, wonderful day to come and worship the Lord, as are all days. We're thankful that you're here to be a part of it. Hope you'll take notice of the uh, card that is in your uh, order of worship. And uh, this card is uh, designed to give information to anyone who's not yet a part of the Glen Allen Church as to how that can come about. Uh, you may not uh, be in Christ yet. You may not have yet confessed him and been baptized into his name. And if not, this uh, card will explain more about that. Uh, or that may be the case that you have been, but uh, you've just not yet identified as a member of this congregation and would like to. And so uh, just take that card and read it over. And if we can help you to accomplish that, we'd love to. Last evening, we had a, a wonderful uh, new member fellowship. Uh, put on by our senior citizens group. They did a great job with it, and it was uh, so good to see so many people who are new to the Glen Allen Church, uh, as well as to see those who have been here for a long time. And we'd, if you're not yet part of the church, we'd just love to have you. We'd love to see you be a part of it. We are, as your uh, bulletin indicates, uh, very soon now going to begin the process of selecting elders or shepherds for the Glen Allen congregation. And so we've been talking about that for the last couple of Sundays and looking at the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John where Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd, as you just heard uh, the reading. And uh, from that, we get a sense of what it means to be a good shepherd and what good shepherds do. Good shepherds are like Jesus. And so that's uh, the reason for spending some time looking at John uh, chapter 10. I pointed out that there are two lists of qualifications found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And if you look at those carefully, you'll notice something interesting about them. They're not exactly alike. That troubles some people. They look at those and they think, well, now, wait a minute. If the qualifications are this over here, they ought to be that over there. And I think that's a misreading of the uh, qualifications list. They are not intended to be exhaustive. They are intended to be descriptive. They are intended to describe a certain kind of man uh, who can and ought to serve uh, as a part of the uh, leadership of the body of Christ. They are not meant to uh, cover every single thing. There are some qualifications for shepherds that are not written. They are implied, but they're not written. You think, well, what? What kind of qualifications? How about this one? I don't know of anywhere in the Bible that it says an elder must love God. But I'm pretty sure that's important, aren't you? Uh, I, I've never seen one yet that says an elder needs to go to church. But, you know, I, I think we all assume that, don't we? It's implied uh, that that is the case. So there are these unwritten qualifications that can be assumed even if they are not specified. Now, in John 10... Jesus describes one of those qualities, and he never uses the word, but from what he says about good shepherds, it's obvious they must be men of courage. They've got to be men of courage. If they don't have courage, they're simply not going to be able to carry out what shepherds have to do. Now, I don't know anywhere in Scripture where the words elder and courage are brought uh, into the same sentence that specifically says that, but it's obviously implied and necessary in the work that they have to do. Notice in John 10, Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Specifically, he says, when he sees the wolf coming, he does not run. 
When he sees the wolf coming, he stands and he takes on the wolf in order to protect the flock. That's what a good shepherd does. He contrasts that with a hireling, someone who's just been hired to watch over the sheep. And he says the hireling, he doesn't own the sheep. They're not his sheep. And so he really doesn't care that much about the sheep. He cares more about himself and his own safety. And as a result, when he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He runs. But he does not have the courage to stand and take care of the sheep. Now, Jesus never says the good shepherd has to have courage, but as we said, it's implied, especially when it comes to facing down a hungry wolf. If you remember in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 33 to 37, when David went out to take supplies to his brothers who were in the Israelite army, and they were faced off with the Philistines. And if you remember the story, the Israelites were cowering because the Philistines had put forth a champion, a giant by the name of Goliath. And they said, you know, you just send your best guy out here and let him fight Goliath, and whoever wins is the winner. You know, and, and if you lose, your guy loses, then you'll all be our servants and so forth. Well, nobody wanted to go fight this man. From the description, he was eight or nine feet tall. I mean, his NBA contract was, it was a guaranteed, you know. He was just enormous. Uh, and he was boisterous and boastful, and he was well-armed. And so he go, would go out every day, and he'd stand there and down in the valley looking up the armies of Israel that were hiding in the rocks, and, and he would challenge them. He would taunt them. He would, he would just trash-talk them. Well, David comes, and he sees this, and he, we don't know how old he was at the time. We sometimes visualize him as like eight or nine years old. I don't think so. He's older than that, but he, he's just a kid. And, and he comes and he sees this and he goes around to his brothers and other people in the army and he says, why isn't anybody going out and taking on this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? What's going on here? Well, they're kind of embarrassed about that and they just, they just tell him, you just need to hush and go home. You don't know what this is all about. Well, David just keeps going around and asking, why doesn't somebody take this man on? Finally, word comes to King Saul and Saul has David come to his tent. And David says, I'll go fight this Philistine. He cannot get away with defying the armies of the living God. And Saul says, and I'm paraphrasing here, you're just a kid. And he is a warrior, and he's been a warrior all his life. He'll eat you alive. You can't do this. And David said, no, I think I can. But I love David's response to this. Here's what David said. He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. He says, I know God will be with me. I know God will go with me. I know what God will do. He's done it before. And so he courageously goes out and fights the giant. That's the courage of shepherd. That's the courage of a good shepherd. <coughs> David says, I've been doing this for a while. 
I've killed lions and bears. And I'm not afraid of this Philistine. And you know the rest of that story. Well, you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's okay when it comes to literal sheep tending. But what does it have to do with being an elder in the church? What does an elder have to have the courage to do? So let's talk about that. First of all, elders need courage to confront the wolves that Paul talked about in Acts 20. Now, we looked at Acts 20 last week, but I hope you'll open your Bible to it. Uh, this morning, uh, once again, Acts 20, verses 28 to 30. Uh, we need to probe this just a little bit more, even though we talked about it last week. Paul, you remember in Acts 20, had sent for the elders of Ephesus to meet him in the port city of Miletus. He thinks he's never going to see them again. And so he wants to give them his final charge and to, to caution them about the future and to be careful. And here's what he says to them. He says to them to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock and to care for, literally, shepherd, shepherd the church of God. Why? Because he says, after my departure, I know that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says, fellas, the wolves are coming. They will be here. And it's your job to take care of them. And so he says, also from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things so as to draw away the disciples after them. And you've got to be ready to deal with that. Now, from that text, you can begin to see what a wolf looks like. You can begin to see what a wolf does. A wolf doesn't care about the church. A wolf does not mind not sparing the flock. A wolf will have his or her own agenda and will pursue that agenda no matter the cost to the church. No matter what it does to everybody else, the wolf is going to have his way or her way. And they speak twisted things, Paul says, distortions of the truth. And their goal, he says, is what? To draw away disciples after them, they want a following. So one thing about a wolf, a wolf always wants an audience. And a wolf's always looking for power over other people. And Paul says you've got to look out for that. Now, in the letter of 3 John, we can take this a little bit further because John tells us about a particular wolf by the name of Diotrephes. And I want to read 3 John Verses 9 and 10. I started to say chapter 2 just to see how many of you would turn. <laughs> Third John, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, who want to and puts them out of the church. What's going on here? This letter is addressed to a man by the name of Gaius. And John says to Gaius, he says, it's a noble thing that you are doing because you are welcoming people who are traveling about preaching the gospel. And you're helping them on their way. That's a great thing to do. But he says, I've written something to the church about this. Because that is a good thing to do. But this fellow Diotrephes, Diotrephes doesn't want to see that happen. 
Now, I want you to notice what he says about Diotrephes because Diotrephes helps us flesh out the portrait of a wolf. He said Diotrephes likes to put what first? Himself. He likes to put himself first. One commentary that I was reading a few years ago said the would-be leader, Diotrephes. Diotrephes wants leadership. He wants power, but he ought not to have it. And then secondly, he says, Diotrephes doesn't acknowledge any authority other than his own. Not even the authority of John. Not even the authority of one of the apostles who walked with Jesus. Then he said he refuses to support the furthering of the gospel, these traveling evangelists that Gaius was helping. He says he won't do that. And, and on top of that, he tries to stop other people from doing it. A wolf will very often have his own agenda, and he tries to stop what everybody else is doing, tries to disrupt good works in the church. And not only that, he says, he does, not only tries to stop them, he says anyone who doesn't go along with him, he wants to put them out of the church. So if, if you don't go along with the wolf, the wolf thinks you ought to be de-churched because you disagree with the wolf. And then also, he says, he slanders those who get in his way. John says, when I come, I'm going to bring this up to him, what he's doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. That's what a wolf looks like. A wolf is somebody who has his own agenda. A wolf is somebody who doesn't care about the welfare of the church. A wolf is somebody who doesn't acknowledge any authority but his or her own. A wolf is somebody who's willing to stop good works, usually because they can't control them, and will slander anybody who doesn't agree with them. That's a wolf. Now, a wolf may be a false teacher, and a wolf may not be a false teacher. The ones in Acts 20 that Paul is describing, he talks about speaking twisted things. Maybe that's false teaching. But sometimes people just like to make trouble over nothing. It's not doctrinal. It's not theological. It's just some silly pet peeve that they have. Titus 3, verses 10 and 11, describes a person like that. It says, as for one who causes division, warn them once or twice, and then have nothing more to do with them. Why? Because they are perverted and sinful. Perverted and sinful and stand self-condemned. Why? Because they just want to make trouble. They don't care what happens to the church. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. A number of years ago, we were in another congregation. We had a, a guy show up, and he kind of loudly announced that, that he himself had, had, was a preacher. And uh, that's okay, you know, but it made me suspicious of him. Um, <laughs> loudly announced that he was a preacher, and... and you know, he started going around to everybody in the congregation and telling them, you know, you can only use the King James Version of the Bible. Anything else is not a real Bible. And you shouldn't be reading anything but the Bible. So he comes to me one Sunday. He'd only been there a couple of weeks. And he comes to me and he says, you shouldn't be reading that Bible, that book you're reading, because it's not really the Bible. And I said, really, why not? And so he goes through his little spiel, you know, about that. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, we've never had a problem about that here. And we're not going to have one now. And I just turned around to walk away. And he kept on. And I turned around. And I said, you're not listening. We've never had a problem about this here. 
We're not going to have one now. So you can either stay and be part of us or you can leave. But you're not going to stay here and make trouble over this. Nobody was trying to tell him what Bible he had to read. But he wanted to push his agenda on everybody else. A wolf may be a false teacher. A wolf may just have something of his own nature, something of his own agenda that he wants to push. When wolves show up, somebody has to stand up and protect the church. Somebody has to stop them. That's what Paul says in Titus 1, that elders were to be appointed for. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught so that he can give instruction in healthy doctrine and what? Refute those who contradict it. But also to be able to stand against the wolf like Diotrephes. I don't know that Diotrephes' beliefs were anything other than 100% orthodox. Maybe he was 100% down the line. Maybe everything he believed was just right. But you see, he had an agenda. And he was going to push that agenda no matter what. And so shepherds need to stand up to people like that. Now, last week we talked about the fact that shepherds need to be men of the word. Add to that, they need to be men of courage. Because no matter how well you know the word, if you don't have the courage to stand up when the wolf comes, the sheep are going to die. Another thing that shepherds need courage for is to lead the church when discipline is necessary. And we don't like to talk about this, and we don't talk about it a lot. We don't talk about it enough. But Jesus says clearly, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he will not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be confirmed by the evidence of one or two witnesses. If he will not listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he will not listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Stay away from him. Another text similar to that is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 8. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even by the pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn, he said. And then he says, here's what you're going to do. When you are assembled, when you are assembled and my spirit is with you, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Do you notice what's going on in both of those? They end up involving the whole church. In one case, it starts out with just one person knowing about the sin, going to the person who is sinning. But when that person will not listen and they won't listen to others, then it eventually becomes a matter for the whole church. And Paul says, this man who's living with his father's wife, everybody already knows that. So you've got to deal with that. And when you are assembled, that's when you deal with it. When it comes to the point where discipline involves the whole church, that's where the elders have got to take the lead. That's where they have to take the lead because it involves everybody. 
And besides that, discipline is a part of shepherding because it's a part of going after strays. It's a part of bringing people back who have wandered away. And when that happens, somebody's got to do it. Now, shepherds are not the only ones who have that responsibility. Not for a moment. Scripture never says it is their responsibility only. It's the whole church's responsibility. But they've got to take the lead. Most churches seldom, if ever, practice the kind of discipline that Scripture teaches. And you wonder why not. And I'll tell you why not. It's because they're not led to. Sheep go where? Where they are led. And if a church never practiced discipline, it's because it's not being led to do so. And why aren't churches led to do so? I think probably that most elders have never even thought about discipline as a part of shepherding. We just don't talk about it when it comes to that. We think about how, how well can they plan these things, how well can they do make these decisions and one thing and another, but we don't talk about, will they go after the sheep who stray? Will they lead the church to try to reclaim souls when those souls fall away from Christ? The concept of shepherding requires going after those who stray and protecting the rest of the church from the influence of those who refuse to repent and be restored to fellowship. But for somehow, there's a, just a disconnect there. I noticed a few years ago in reading some books about elders and shepherding that there, there was some wonderful stuff being written about the concept of elders as shepherds and how we need to, we need to sort of rebrand the role of elders, and think of them as shepherds, and not one of those books said anything about leading the church in discipline. Not one. Something's wrong. But the other reason that it, 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 people aren't led to do that is because it's not easy. It's not easy. Trust me, it's not easy. When you lead the church in discipline, there are always going to people who, be people who will oppose you. There are always going to be people who are going to say, you didn't do it right. There are always going to be people who are going to say, not my brother-in-law, you're not. Well, no, your brother-in-law, they might go for it, but, you know, not, not my cousin, not my uncle, not my friend. You know, there's always going to be people who stand in the way, people who criticize. It is not easy to do, but it is necessary to do. Paul says in Galatians 6, if anyone is overtaken in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. But it has to happen. should happen in a spirit of gentleness, but it must happen. Several years ago, I was speaking at a workshop in Oklahoma on the subject of church discipline. And during a question and answer session, one elder in the back of the room raised his hand and he said, how do we get up the courage? How do we get up the courage to do this? And I said, you got to start by repenting of the fact that you haven't been doing it because you haven't been obeying God. Start with repentance, and that'll give you courage. Listen to Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. <laughs> that will give you courage knowing that you have to stand before God and give account. Shepherds need courage for discipline. Shepherds also need courage to make the tough calls for the church. I know you're tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to say it one more time. No, I'm going to say it several more times. Right now, I'm going to say it one more time. Shepherds are not primarily decision makers. 
That is not the role to which God has assigned them. But at the same time, they are not a board of directors to make decisions about buildings and budgets and banquets. That's not their role. Other folks can do those things, and other folks should to leave the shepherds free to shepherd. But if you're going to lead sheep, you've got to decide which way the sheep need to go. That's just logical, isn't it? You've got to know where the green pastures are. You've got to know where the still waters are. And you've got to know the direction to lead the sheep. Which direction is the best for the whole church and its mission as the body of Christ? And which ones are not? And let me get, let you in on a little secret here. There's a lot more that are not in the best interest of the church than those that are. People can come up with all kinds of ideas for a new direction for the church. And the church may need a new direction. We shouldn't be opposed to change at all. We may need a new direction. But before the church sets off in that direction, somebody's got to ask the hard questions. Is this really a good direction? Is this really what we need to do? Is this really the way that we need to go? We've got to carefully weigh the pros and cons and the consequences, both intended and un unintended. First of all, what will we gain by doing this, or what might we lose by doing it? Why is this change needed, or is this change needed? Is this change good for the whole church, or is it maybe just pleasing to a few? Is it good for anybody? Why are we doing it? Why would we do it? And this one, is this change allowable by Scripture? Is this change allowable by Scripture? Or is it driven by social pressures from the world around us that would lead us to violate the teachings of Scripture? Several years ago, Linda and I attended the uh, lectureship out at Pepperdine University. And one day at lunch, we were sitting across from a, a very sweet woman, forget where she was from, somewhere way up in the upper Midwest, I believe, Canada, wasn't it? Canada, she was from Canada. And she said, I am enjoying this so much, but I so much dread to go home. And we said, why would you say that? Why do you dread to go home? And she said, because the church that I've attended for the last 50 years is about to just blow wide open. We said, really, why? And she began to relate the story to us. She was a widow. Her husband had been an elder in that church for more than 30 years. He had passed away. And they had become all embroiled over the question of how much leadership women ought to take in leading the worship services. And, and she said, it's just gotten to the point where it's just about to blow wide open. And she said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't stay there. And a lot of other people won't stay there. And it was so sad. And I said, can I ask you a question? How did this start? And she said, it started with one woman who wanted to do more in worship than we thought she ought to do. And I said, and then the elders just let her have her way. And she said, yes, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't stand up to her. And so this unrest just spread, and now it's, he said it's about to explode. 
Folks, that can happen so easily. That can happen so quickly over anything. If you don't have shepherds who have the courage to stand up and say no when they need to. Now, it also takes courage to say yes when that needs to be said, when a new direction is needed, when a church is presented with a new challenge, but some people don't want to go there. It takes courage to say yes. But that's just what good shepherds do. It's what they have to do, or the church will be, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 4, tossed to and fro by the waves because there's nobody charting the course. So as you think about suggesting someone to serve this church as a shepherd, it might be a good idea to go to that person and ask them, not what we usually ask. Here's what we usually ask. Are you willing to do this? That's okay. That's a good question. Are you willing? But here's the other question. Do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to lead this church in the direction that it needs to go? Do you have the courage to lead us in discipline whenever necessary? Do you have the courage to stand up to the wolves who will inevitably come among us? They always do. Do you have the courage to protect the flock? If he says yes, that man just might be a good shepherd. And if not, there's no way he can be. Let's bow and pray. Father, we're so grateful to you for your son, Jesus, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for us, your sheep, who makes possible for us to have life everlasting. We're so thankful, Father, for the church, so grateful to be a part of it because we don't deserve it. We're not worthy of being in your kingdom. And we're so grateful, Father, that your word teaches us so clearly how we ought to go as the church and what we ought to be and what we ought to do. We pray, Father, that you would bless us as we prepare to enter into this process of selecting shepherds, that we will have men to lead us who love you, love your word, love this church, and are filled with courage to protect it at all costs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're